Welcome to episode 68. Today, Dr. Margot Gottlieb joins us to talk about assessments in multiple languages. Welcome to the Teaching Multilingual Learners podcast. This podcast celebrates teachers who answer the calling to serve multilingual students and their families. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine. Every cloud has. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking that now you have to assess students in multiple languages when you only speak one. I thought the same thing. That's not the only meaning of assessments in multiple languages. Dr. Gottlieb talks about embedding home languages into the assessment cycle. This episode will show you how to do that even if you are a monolingual speaker. You can still create opportunities for your students to use their home languages while engaging in a long-term summative assignment. Now, on to today's podcast. I'm so excited to have Dr. Margot Gottlieb back again for the second time. I was so grateful that you were the first person to be on the podcast. And now this time we're celebrating your newest book, which is called Classroom Assessment in Multiple Languages. So you need no introduction as the person who co-founded WIDA, and we have uh, owe a debt of gratitude to your legacy of work. So welcome again back to a very friendly, adoring audience, Dr. Gottlieb. <laughs> And, and it's such a pleasure to be here again. I just really enjoy speaking with you, Tan. Um, you were so insightful and what you do to benefit multilingual learners every day is to be really applauded. Well, you're the one who actually helped me understand uh, when I when I we did the podcast year uh, about a, a year ago, I would say English learners and you say, let, let me just tell you that the, the term we now use is multilingual and I'm like, Oh, and it's when I started editing the podcast, I was like, okay, I really need to change my language because you're right. It's not about English any, anymore. It's not the only language, the only language we, it's, English is not the only lens we see our kids. And if we see our kids through English first, we see them as a deficit model. And you really taught us that. Well, thank you. It's part of the can-do philosophy that I, I aspire to. <laughs> Um, so let's talk with, let's talk about, let's start the podcast with telling a story about when multilingual assessments um, that you've seen helped, helped a student, a family, or a school. There's so many places to start, but I think I'll begin with um, an anecdote that should be familiar with most everybody, and that is having newcomers arrive at a school door, um, being multilingual learners and entering this new kind of very exciting world, but at the same time being apprehensive, obviously, um, for being in in this new environment. And the first things they encounter is a screener in English. (laughs) And so oftentimes schools 
being so busy and that's so understandable. Um, especially at the beginning of the year, they're overwhelmed with new procedures and policies. And just think about this year when, you know, you walk into a school or not even walk in, you zoom in and you're given three options, you know, to, to be in a hybrid situation or face-to-face or remote. And, and, and it's so difficult to understand through the lens of a multilingual learner. But this is the prime opportunity to gather information on these students' multiple language uses as they interact with others in different contexts. This is a time where you can survey um, family members. It's sometimes the only time where an adult will accompany a child. You'll be able to interview these parents or other family members. You'll be able also to collect content-based oral and written language samples in all the languages the students understand. Right. It doesn't have to be a, a long drawn out process. You can use a universal motivating photo that appears to children. So my, no matter how many languages a student has, no matter how many languages are encapsulated in your school, um, it's really important to capture all that information upon the multilingual learner's initial entry in the school. And it's remiss if schools and districts don't do that. Right. You know, when you talked about that, I, I thought right away about the can-do standard, and the can-do philosophy. And when we have our families and their kids come to school for the first day, we sit them down, we conference with them in their home language, like how comfortable would they feel, how welcomed would they feel, how embraced would they feel uh, with this process of, hey, we're just going to have the assessment in your home language. And when we do that, we can really focus on what kids can already do. Can they read in their home language? Are they using a very advanced vocabulary in the home language? Are they able, are they able to read in their home language? Are they able to write in their home language? Because these are all the building blocks this lets us know, oh, okay, they already have literacy skills. We just now have to amplify them and then transfer them to English. So what a you're great absolutely idea. right. And not only is it welcoming and inviting and, and embracing for these multilingual learners and their families, hopefully it will start to change the mindset of teachers and administrators. So there's multiple benefits of doing um, this initial in uh, assessment, yeah. Right, right. And then we, we also tell uh, kids that, hey, that's a, like a first signal to tell kids, like, this is not an only English-only zone. You're allowed to use your home language. When you start to go to uh, school, when you, after the assessment, when you meet your teacher, yes, you can use your home language with other classmates and your teachers. You, so it takes a lot to write a book. It takes a good part of a year or more, and to spend a whole year on a book, why would, what are the reasons why you wrote this book? I think the primary reason um, is that we need to have voices from the field mm -hmm. that will leverage the assets of multilingual learners and somehow embed those assets, those strengths into instructional and assessment practices. And it isn't pervasive yet. Um, it's, it's very uh, sporadic at best. And so I wanted to contribute in that way. 
I wanted to see that students are able to see themselves, something like you just said, and relate their experiences, their personal experiences, their academic experiences, what, what learning is about. And so the world can see that in fact, these children come with so many um, resources. Um, and I want to see another reason is to kind of ensure that multilingual learners have opportunities to show what they know and are able to do, but in equitable ways. Um, so that decisions that are made are predicated on data that are accurate and fair. Um, and so to me, it was really important because I'd never seen a book on assessment in multiple languages. And so I thought, well, okay, I'm a, as an advocate and a strong and passionate assessment person who is also um, in, entrenched in multilingualism and multiculturalism, I thought there was a space for that. Oh, there is such a space because you're right. You're, when you asked me to write uh, a little thing for your book and, and I was like, oh, assessments in multiple languages. And I, I, it was like a mirror and it was like a really not a beautiful view looking back. And I was like, you know, I support translanguaging. I support students using home languages. I encourage it in my class. But I, as a, as a multilingual, have never asked my students to produce an assessment in their home language. It's always like, can you draw a picture, write it in Chinese, and then I'm gonna uh, help you understand the word that you wrote in Chinese. It's, it's, it's always like, multiple languages like it's always like students home language um as a way to get to english but with this book and i was like oh you kind of scared me i was like oh how am i going to do this and it's so easy because if it's embedded in instruction you axiomatically have it already in assessment <laughs> classroom assessment and well, that's I'm what sorry. this book is all about i'm sorry i said and that's what the book is all about it, it it's to is to say to you, don't worry, you're already doing it. Right. You just have to have that lens to be able to be as astute enough to, to observe that interaction in multiple languages and to note it. Right. Well, I know that as I was looking through the book, I was like, oh, I'm gonna be a diff different teacher the second I finish reading the book because I can already see, like this, the way you set it out was so, so, was so clear in the way of we can plan gather, interpret, report. I was like, okay, I could do this. And you always make it possible. Again, like I said before, we owe such a, a debt of gratitude to you. And so this is another example of how you are first in the field to say, let's consider multiple languages, uh, multilingual assessments. So. Well, I am humbled by what you're saying, but I, I'm sure I am not the first. <laughs> well, you're the first to really put it in a book and codify it and really help us see it, right? <laughs> Thank you. What are the common objectives that people have to multilingual assessments that you've been hearing? I don't think there's an, ob an objection per se to multilingual assessments. I think there's objection because I'll hear teachers say, well, I wish my principal, my coach, my grade level team, I would have support in what I do. Mm. And the objection is there's never enough time. That's always there, but that's true for any teacher in any situation. Um, but I think that many bilingual, multilingual, dual language, immersion teachers really feel isolated yeah. um, because they're not always validated. And so 
they're they feel like they're always on the defensive and so i'm hoping um knowing that this notion of co-teaching has really come to be prevalent um, worldwide yes. that through co-teaching you have the built-in support um, that will help alleviate this dilemma we'll see uh, because as long as interim and annual assessment are exclusively in english in schools and districts then it's going to be a dilemma um, for these teachers so another way to to really alleviate this this issue is to have the whole school engage in some kind of inquiry-based professional learning mm. or action research around assessment literacy. Because I think each and every teacher has to have a firm understanding of what classroom assessment is all about. Um, because that, that in essence will help mitigate the situation for everyone. When you said, uh, when you talked about co-teaching, it's really now uh, the, the practice of our field. And I'm thinking about teachers who are multilingual. I'm thinking, well, how, with the, with cre with the concept of creating multi multilingual assessments, they will feel validated, like you said, and they will be fully utilized now because of their um, multiple language abilities, right? And if it, even if teachers who aren't, it's just the concept of, okay, let's use students' home languages to help them be assessed. Because I remember uh, all of my students who have come to my schools and they uh, are very fluent in their home language, are very proficient and advanced in the home language. But because we are demanding English output, they felt like they were less than, they felt like they were always the intelligence was was not where it used to be, and because of this now model, it's a such it, it's a bright light for students and and teachers who are co-teaching, and teachers who have multiple languages that can support kids who are what we call beginners. And seeing this coalescence between content and language teachers in a in a in a partnership that works is also a wonderful learning model for multilingual learners. Right, exactly. Understanding the world around them, that not everyone is bilingual or multilingual, and that's okay too. That's great. Um, they still can be supported. Right, right. And that's a great thing. It's very, I think this supports uh, Andrea, Dr. Andrea Hungensfeld and Maria Dove's work on, um, uh, on teacher collaboration. So they said uh, in their cycle, it's uh, co-plan, co-reflect, co-teach, and co-assess. And so this is that last part, like where we, one of the last one of the pieces where we are co-assessing together and if you we can co-assess in multiple languages that means students and more students and more teachers can be involved in in the assessment and it doesn't always have to be in multiple languages that's all right too it depends on you know what are the targets or the goals individual student goals or lesson targets can we talk about that then can you talk about when would it be most appropriate to have multilingual assessments? When multilingualism is honored as an instructional practice, when it is part of instruction, multilingualism is always uh, 
um, part of multilingual learners' identities. It, you're not going to extricate it from them. Um, however, it depends, and, and I've stressed this in the book um, because I haven't seen it a lot. Every school, every classroom needs to have um, an assessment and language policy. Students have to know the parameters, um, even though they have multiple languages. In some situations, um, one language is warranted over another. And they have to know why, and they have to understand that because it, it isn't always gonna be a welcoming situation like their warm inviting classroom. Um, and they, they're gonna to have to be adaptable um, to, to the language of the world, so to speak. And so I think that is critical um, more than anything else. Then students will feel comfortable in their multiple language use when it's stipulated, when it is going to quote count, which I hate using that, but um, when it is part of instruction as it leads into assessment, when in its interim uh, interaction that does not lead to assessment per se, but is um, uh, self-assessment um, or when you can speak to your peers in another language, it's totally acceptable. Um, it is a prelude to more um, of a project or a, a product um, and but not the end outcome. So there's many different circumstances in which multiple languages are to be used. Um, depending on the purpose for assessment. Right, right. So I'm thinking about uh, formative data. So we, we say formative assessments, but I guess we can say formative data. Like I allow my kids to speak in the home languages. I encourage my kids to use the home languages when they want. And I can use that as formative data to see how they are accessing the text, accessing the concepts. And so right there, that's an example of uh, multilingual assessments. Absolutely. And I consider that assessment as learning or assessment for learning. And, the, and, and something you had asked me before that I think is so critical is that how does a teacher assess in multiple languages when they don't speak those languages? Exactly. That is, teachers don't have to. It's okay. They have to honor students. Um, and I would turn that question around and say something to the fact that look through the vantage point of your students. Um, because multilingual learners should be encouraged to self-assess, just like you said, um, in the language of their choice. You have to give, you want them to became, become agents of their own learning. You have to let go, um, whether it's through, you know, gradual release of responsibility or some other strategy. Um, teachers will never be privy to students' inner thoughts. And that's something that's going to occur in a language other than English for multilingual learners. Um, I love that. I just the, the, you already gave have given me a strategy already, like to think about students assessing themselves, like student like uh, assessment as learning. So they right. they'll, they'll go through a project, and at the end they'll reflect, right? And I might not need to see the, all of their reflection, but they could do their reflection in their home language, right? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And that's great because it's going to deepen their own learning if they can you know do this very strong analysis and and spend time and and it'll build multiple languages simultaneously because we'll see the connection between the two and that's building 
uh, metalinguistic awareness that only multilingual learners can do efficiently. <laughs> to see how one language is, is connected to another or the structure in one language is also mirrored in the structure of another language. Right, or even discourse, the, the thoughts in one language, how, what, how do they manifest themselves in another? Right. That's fun. That's like for language nerds, I guess. Yep, <laughs> no doubt about it. Um, so you talked about uh, wanting teachers to do this, and it's actually very easy if we integrated within instruction. Um, you have several chapters, one chapter about planning, collecting, interpreting, reporting. Would you talk about that process with us? Okay, what you're trying to do is have me summarize this book <laughs> in about two <laughs> sentences, um, because what you just laid out are the phases of an assessment cycle in multiple languages. Right. It's also an assessment cycle in one language, yes. but I wanted to apply it to multiple languages because it's the identical cycle. It's just considering the use of one language in relation to the other. There's two important premises for assessment in multiple languages. And I think this kind of undergirds this whole cycle. One is to know the strengths of your multilingual learners because there will always be a resource to tap. And the other thing is to remember that assessments always tied to a purpose and you always go back to the why. Yes. Um, and that purpose is gonna drive the kinds of data, how you're gonna plan, how they're gonna be collected, how those data are gonna be interpreted through the lens of multilingualism, how they are to be reported, in what ways they are to be reported, depending on the audience, and then what actions will need to be taken as a result of um, looking at these data or what decisions have to be made based on the evidence that is produced. So once you understand the multiple phases of the cycle, it can happen instantaneously. Within a minute in a classroom, you undergo all those phases and it's auto, for, for um, teachers, it's, it's an automatic response. They're gonna give some kind of concrete feedback based on what their students are doing. And other times it can be drawn out, as you said before, through a project that's, you know, six to eight weeks long. Right. So it just depends. Right. So I guess what you're saying is like, it's multilingual assessments can, is very flexible. It can be something very formal that we think about all the way through the end, or it can be a, a tool that's very flexible to be used in the moment. Absolutely. Right. And again, it goes back to the purpose. So would you uh, share what that might look like in a classroom or anywhere in any, any one of those phases? I think planning is the hardest phase because there is so much to encompass and so much to take into consideration for each of the students and understanding um, where they are and if they're familiar with the topic, if they're motivated to learn more about this issue, um, whether they feel more comfortable in one language or another, whether they um, are more productive when they interact with other students, there's so much you have to think about for a classroom. And then understanding that 
the multilingual learners themselves should have input into the process. So what if this is a topic that not one child is interested in? Are you still going to pursue it? Probably not. Or you're going to have to say, well, what do you know about it? Or what tangential experiences have these children have that we can bring into school to jumpstart their excitement about the topic? So for me, planning is the most important. Once you have a sense of um, your multilingual learners' stances towards that topic and how they're going to engage, I think the rest is a, a very natural process. Yeah, I think that's. Uh, I always share a, a metaphor with teachers that uh, cope. Like planning, planning is like the the foundation of our work. Like we can uh, work on the small little granular things, but when we focus on co-planning the assessment, that really takes up the whole space of a vase, right? Instead of the little grains of like planning a bulletin board or planning just one graphic organizer that's gonna be used once. But when we think about planning the assessment, uh, that just takes up the, the rest of the unit. That really lays, lays down the, the, the structure for the rest of the unit. And so many teachers here in the United States use backward design. And in, in that particular model, you start with the end in mind. Um, and so it could be a product, it could be a performance, it could be a project. And then you think about, well, what are the, what's the prelude? What are all these ingredients that are necessary for my students to um, reach the end? So when you're planning about, when you're planning to incorporate multilingual assessments, where, what would you be planning about? Tell me exactly. So Tell me in the, Sure. Yeah. I'm thinking about like, so am I going to plan uh, how kids are going to use um, multilingual assessments, like multilingual resources, or how can I plan um, the final assessment in, in using multiple languages? I would say all of the above. <laughs> That's why I'm saying planning is so extensive. One thing that I try to emphasize in the book is that some of the resources um, that come to bear in assessment as instruction that were taken as um, scaffolding before um, and, and, and as a crutch for multilingual learners, that the multilingual turn has enabled us to see that we need to present multiple or multimodal representations to students and have them make those important choices. That there isn't just one road to the, the end of unit essay. It could be an end of unit um, reenactment. It could be an end of unit um, diorama. Right. I'm, I'm just, or mural right. um, that's expressive of the period of time. Right. There's so many different ways that multilingual learners, as all students, can express their learning. And we've been very limited in the past. And opening up this notion of universal design of learning, I think has, has broadened the accessibility of students and understanding that they can have multiple representations of knowledge. It, isn't it doesn't just privilege text anymore. Right. Um, so that's how I would approach it. Right. So you're saying like we're diff we're planning a differentiated output for kids. Like how are they going to uh, show the demo demonstrate their understanding? It's not just uh, we're privileging written text. Right? 
I wouldn't say we're planning for, we're giving students the option to use. Oh, okay. um, and through our planning, we're thinking about um, what is that range of options. When a student chooses, let's say, for example, to use, to create uh, a multilingual, so they're gonna create a video in their home language about, let's say, the ecosystem, and you don't speak that language, how would you be able to collect, uh, interpret that? I would, if it's a multimodal video, they will include artifacts. They will include maybe a tour of a process. Um, so it isn't totally language dependent. And it, again, it depends what the purpose is. If the purpose is um, looking at students English language production, then of course it has to be in English. And the students know that from the get-go and they can use their other languages to bolster English in that particular instance. But um, it, it depends on the extent to which there is that pact between the teacher and the multilingual learners as to the use of which language, how much, where, how it's going to be assessed um and, and there's an agreement right. so it isn't a surprise right so, there, so there, go ahead i'm sorry no go ahead you go <laughs> so it would be i can see this as a conversation we would have absolutely it's right. negotiated right we would say like so for example i would be able to say with like let's say i'm working with a lao kid i say i, I can speak in lao and i can speak in vietnamese uh, and so if you want to do that, if you want to have that option, yes, use that. I'm comp I'm competent in that. But if you, if a kid who's Norwegian is like, I want to speak uh, Norwegian, we would have to negotiate where, how, when, how much, to what extent. And we, we would we would look at the rubric to say there are, there are very specific words that we're looking for, or there are very specific things that you have to communicate in your assessment. Um, just making sure that you communicate those um, because that's part of the, the criteria. That Absolutely. Or there's certain types of evidence that I'll be looking for. Right. It's a compensation. So there's, yes, there's options available. This is thoughtful. I'm like, I'm thinking like, okay, because I, because I, because I, I'm, initially I came to this conversation in this book with thinking about, oh, um, multilingual assessments only as an end product. But what I'm hearing you saying, it's throughout the process of, of teaching and learning. Absolutely. It's embedded in it. Right. Then what's the difference between that and I, this is just my ignorance. What's the difference between like um, multilingual assessment and like scaffolding and using translanguaging? Oh, well, that's very interesting. Um, <laughs> because to me, translanguaging is part of multilingual assessment. No doubt about it. Right. It's it's. What I find most disturbing is that most teachers either take a positive or negative stance about translanguaging right. and don't realize that it's a natural occurrence amongst multilinguals. And so if you want to, you know, honor and advocate multilingual language use and enable the students to use their full linguistic repertoire, then multilingual assessment has to occur. And, and in that way, translanguaging really is a way of honoring linguistically and cultural 
culturally sustainable classrooms. In essence, that's that's what it's all about. Um, because you can't deny half of a child or a third of a child. Um, and so translanguaging enables that child to feel like the person he or she is, or they are. So I see uh, multilingual assessments as um, not just at the end, but kids are, we are we're, we're inviting kids and encouraging kids uh, to use their home language to engage with the assessment. Uh, and sometimes that will look like uh, a language, uh, an assessment out, uh, in an output language that's in the home language. Sometimes it will be in English, depending on the purpose, like you said. But right. the, and the use of home language can be through all the way from the beginning to the end. Uh, yes. For students to get, engage with uh, engage with text, to get research, to partner with others, um, and then that's all through. If so, we're doing that. We're already. Uh, facilitating multilingual assessments. No doubt about it. Remember that assessment, just like instruction, should be focused on meaning <laughs> and how to communicate in meaningful ways. Right, not just the grade. Okay, so I feel, I feel like there's like, I'm like nervous because I'm like, okay, I, I don't know how to assess in Arabic. But you're saying you don't have to if you if you are not able to assess in Arabic. Like that's not. But you are allowing the Arabic speakers to use Arabic all the way through the assessment process. Absolutely. Right. Okay. Because in that way, assessment becomes personalized for the students. Right. I love that. And more meaning is attached to it. Right. And it's not just for a grade. Right. I would hope not. Right. Because I'm thinking now. <laughs> I'm thinking now of my 10th grader. I, I clearly remember conferencing with one of them uh, where we were learning about macroeconomics and how Thailand is dealing with uh, the uh, COVID-19 and the economic impact of COVID-19. Mm -hmm. I'm sitting down with her and I'm asking, what resource are you using to get this information? And she turned to me and she said, I'm really sorry, it's in Thai. And I was like, oh, don't apologize yeah. for Thai as academic research. We, I encourage it. You should use it because it's the context in Thailand. And and then at the end, when I looked at her essay, she included uh, the Thai article or several Thai articles in her bibliography. And I was like, yay. That's terrific. Right. And that's an example of multilingual assessments where kids can use Absolutely. their Absolutely. Right? right. Mm -hmm. So in that example, I, uh, the, the output was English, but she was using her home language to um, process texts and videos in Thai for the assessment. And I bet you she came away with a much stronger understanding right. of the situation. Right. And I think internally she recognized that like in her mind, I think, I don't know if she realizes this, but she saw English as a language of hierarchy. Ah. Right. And now, now that I say, yeah. no, no, English and Thai are on the same level. Really, there's no hierarchy. It's just languages. And so I hope that she has uh, walked away with um, less of a, an internalized, oppressive view of Thai language, and this is hierarchy. And she's walking away with saying, oh, yeah, I can use Thai as I'm doing academic work. I totally agree, and that's one of the benefits of, being, of having that available to you. 
How can you, you started talking about in the beginning of the podcast about administrators using this as a professional learning opportunity. Can you talk more about um, how administrators can support this? Because I know you have a companion book coming out for this. <laughs> administrators operate under a different set of circumstances. Yes. They, 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 there's a tension because they, they are obligated to fulfill certain higher level policy. Yes. Um, and they might have a different set of their own beliefs. And so teachers have to understand the positionality of um, principals and administrators. But I still encourage teachers to go and make their case. And so many principals, in fact, do support um, multilingualism more and more um, these days. And you'll see more and more, quote, dual language schools or immersion schools popping up um, as a research is undeniable <laughs> of the benefits of bilingualism and multilingualism. Um, we're starting to convince more and more um, educators. And so we have to understand that there are constraints being administrators and teachers have to be compassionate as do the administrators. And so yes, administrators should wholeheartedly support multilingual assessment, but it may not go beyond the, the walls of their school because the district doesn't honor it. But that doesn't mean, for example, that you can create a school-wide language policy or a school-wide assessment policy or school-wide portfolios where um, multiple languages are integrated into the psyche of the school. Yeah, when you said that about portfolios, I, I instantly thought, okay, because our school has a portfolio system as well, and so kids can share the resources they're getting in their home languages. They're, they can they can screenshot uh, sketch notes or images of uh, notes they've taken in the home languages. They can mm -hmm. show the um, their process of writing it in the home language, and then and then uploading it to their portfolio. So their parents could be involved too, but they're not using it just to show their parents. They're using their home language, again, as an asset, as a tool, like you talked about the can-do philosophy, where we can use what students already have to further their education. Yeah. And the portfolios are a wonderful archive for documenting student growth over time right. in multiple languages. Right. <laughs> Well, I only have one, I have two more questions. Um, what is something you wish teachers would ask you about multilingual assessments that they rarely ask you about? I know this is a new concept, but. Hmm. I think teachers need to ask why. Yeah. So many times teachers don't challenge the status quo. And I've seen often in dual language settings where dual language stops with instruction and nothing is, as you said before, has been codified in multiple languages. And it's so easy to start off with something like um, a documentation form or if you're still using rubrics or a standards reference report and all you have to do is put another column and put English, if that's one of the languages, and another language. How difficult is that? Um, once you 
uh, allow students to interact and trans language, um, then as you observe them, just put a little check mark. Um, so assessment of multiple languages doesn't have to take more time. It doesn't have to be so complex. Um, your thought processes do because you, you're thinking about um, is there a balanced approach because I want these students to be successful at any count in all languages. Um, so I think that's, I think when I used to teach an assessment course, it would take three weeks for um, the teachers to stop shaking. In some, I mean, assessment just seems to rile teachers up like it's some foreign entity that's, you know, alien to what they should be doing. I, I just don't understand. So, I, you know, it's really important to understand instruction is assessment. It's okay. Um, all you have to do is to mark that evidence and in which language it's occurring and you have assessment in multiple languages. Oh, that is such a quotable message. Instruction is assessment, right? So you already gave us a baby step of like just adding another column where it says English and another home language. What's another baby step that teachers can use to start using multi multilingual assessments? I would say start with the student. If you don't have the student self-reflect, if you're not having students engage in peer assessment, um, if you don't have classroom portfolios where students can actually um, organize their learning digitally or in, by paper, you know, everything is um, in flux these days, that's where I would start. And then you too can be reflecting on how you were gradually allowing students to blossom because you're enabling them to have additional opportunities and access to multiple languages. What are your personal reactions? So when you have your students journaling, you can journal as well. This is great. I'm so excited to, uh, to think about my class in a different way. Uh, with, I already uh, encouraged my kids to use the home languages, but now I think about it in a different way of like, how can I add this to the, to the assessment piece? Let's end with uh, the tra traffic light teaching. It's red light is, <laughs> what, what would you ask teachers to stop doing uh, hmm. in terms of um, multilingual assessments or assessments period? The, the first one is easy. Um, take that deficit language and convert it into a strength-based um, vision mindset for all multilingual learners. And that will readily apply to school and life and connecting school to community. Um, make that stronger as well. Slow down. Um, don't think that you can inaugurate assessment in multiple languages instantaneously. I think you have to think about it's gradual induction over time. Yes. So students, families, administrators, that everybody is on board, that you're not fighting upstream, but in fact, what you are doing is, has been um, well supported across the educational community. And the third one is green light. Go for it, be a risk taker, um, try something out, even if it's a baby step, see students' reactions, get their reactions, um, because you have to val value 
um, multilingual learners and who they are, and they will help you become a better teacher. Oh, I'm so excited for uh, listeners to teachers and educators to listen to this podcast and to uh, get their hands on your book. It's available digitally. It's also in print. And I know that just like the first time you came on the show, you know, people will tweet about it and they'll share with their colleagues. So uh, we always, again, I, I owe a, a debt of gratitude to uh, your work. There's very few teachers, educators, scholars that I know that have impacted my students' lives like you have. Oh, Tian, that is just a wonderful closing remark. Um, and I'll say something that I am negligent in doing. I am, I am a neophyte at this um, twitting, tweeting, <laughs> multi-digital world. Um, and so I, I, may, I, I keep on trying. So all you folks out there, I appreciate your tweets. I value them um, extensively because I am not any sense of an expert. Well, no, I can't do it at all. So thank you in advance. <laughs> I saw the other day you you had a hand on it. I was like, oh, she, she got on Twitter. <laughs> but I'm stymied, don't worry. <laughs> no, it's okay. Now get ready for all the lovely thank you uh, Twitter messages coming your way. I would love that. And if I learned how to respond, I will respond to you. <laughs> I'm here on a Zoom link whenever you need me to help you with it. Oh, that's a wonderful invitation. I might take you up on it. Anytime. Before we recap this episode, I have a favor and an invitation. My favor is to ask you to please review this podcast if you found it valuable so that teachers like you become inspired and informed in their advocacy work. My invitation is for you to enroll in my scaffolding learning or teacher collaboration courses. I've taken the principles that I've learned from experts in the field. I've applied them to my classes. I kept the things that worked and I'm sharing all of them in these courses. I hope you consider enrolling. Now onto our recap. I entered this conversation having one perspective of assessments in multiple languages, and now I leave it with a different perspective. If you are finding opportunities for your students to use their home languages as they work on the long-term assessment, then that is an assessment in multiple languages. A student might have had to use the home languages in different ways, in different times to produce an English-only product. Students can use their home language to research, to take notes, to collaborate with others, to draft ideas, and to reflect on their work or to self-assess. If you're fortunate enough to assess students in their home language at an academic level, then by all means do that especially for your beginners. When we create opportunities for students to use their home language to engage with the assessment, this is how we provide equitable assessment practices. Students are encouraged to use all of their tools to be the most successful they can be at school. This means using their home language to complete a summative project. In the next episode, we'll have Dr. Brennan Beck, Join us to talk about his inspirational book called Unlocking Unlimited Potential. Thank you for listening. I'll see you soon. 
be safe, and be rooted in peace. It's your turn to play Traffic Light Teaching. Tweet at me either your red, yellow, or green light from this particular episode. <laughs>